Well, it's good to be with you uh, again um, and to be able to share from, from God's Word. Actually, what we're, I'm proposing to do this morning is a little bit different um, in that say, uh, we're looking to give a report of the work that, that we do through Go Youth Trust um, throughout a central Scotland. Um, and speaking into that is speaking about God's heart um, for those we serve uh, and why we do what we do. So, um, yeah, hopefully... Um, yeah, we'll, be bl- we'll be blessed this morning just by, just by thinking uh, about these things. I wonder if I was to ask you um, if there was a time throughout the history of the church where you just asked yourself the question, how could they get it so wrong? Because actually, when we look at the history of 2,000 years of the church, there's been many times where Christians have just missed the point entirely. They've got it so wrong. You know, this year we can look back to 500 years since the Reformation. So 500 years ago, um, Christianity wasn't about Jesus at all. It wasn't about Christ, but it was about how you lived your life, what you gave to the church. It was all about what you gave rather than what Christ has done for you. And, and, and no one saw it. They all had the blinkers on. They had no idea what it was about. And then one man, Martin Luther, looked at his Bible with fresh eyes. God gave him fresh eyes. And he saw, we've, we've drifted away. We've got no idea what this is about. Or we can look back to times like the Crusades, where the church are, are murdering people, and they're doing it in Jesus' name. And they're saying, we do this for the church. We're doing this for Christ. Or we can come a little bit further, closer to our history, and we can think about the slave trade just a few hundred years ago, where there would have been loving Christian families, real good people, who gave their money away to, to the poor and, and who, um, who served their communities well. But you came home and they had slaves in their house that they didn't pay. And they treated appallingly. And yet these, the society said these were good people. And you can look through at many generations of the church. In fact, I would argue you can look at all the generations of the church. And you can see in everyone that there's something that they've missed. And when you come at it with fresh eyes, you just ask yourself the question, how could they have missed that? How could they have not seen the epidemic that was around about them? And I wonder if I was to ask you what that would be today, what you would say. What is it that the church is missing? An issue, a problem that's just so rife in society, and yet we've either chosen to be comfortable with it and ignore it, or we've not seen it at all. I'll tell you what I think in a second. But if we can pop the slides up, we're going to read together from Isaiah chapter 1 this morning. If you don't have your Bible, we're going to pop it on the screen so you can read it uh, uh, on the screen. But Isaiah chapter 1. Reading from verse 1, we hear, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And then moving down to verse 16, we read, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. You know, as we read this 
chapter. These are the words given to Isaiah for him to speak to the people of Israel. And God, throughout the book of Isaiah, is giving the message to Israel, saying, what has happened? How how have you fell so far away from me? How can you call yourself my people? I look at you and I'm ashamed. You're not living the life that I have asked you to live. You are my representatives on earth and I'm ashamed. You're my children. I reared you. I brought you up. But you've rebelled against me. And when I look at you, I don't see my children. This is a message throughout uh, the book of Isaiah. But always alongside that message is, but still there's hope for you. Still you can come back to me. You, you can change the way that you are. You can still come back to me and I will still accept you. If you wash yourselves, if you make yourselves clean, if you remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, if you cease to do evil. Now sometimes books like Isaiah we might just skip past because we think they're not for us. They're, 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 for, the, they're for the Jews, they're for the people of Israel. That's to do with the old promise. We've got a new promise. But actually we share in the old promise now. We share in the promises that were given uh, to Israel. And so we read these verses and God wants us to do the same thing. If we are going to be representatives of God's people on earth, if we are going to be the church, then we need to wash ourselves. We need to make ourselves clean. We can't look like the world around about us. We need to be made clean. And we can't do it ourselves. We can only do it through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can only make ourselves clean because of the sacrifice that he has made on Calvary. He is the only one who can remove all of our evil deeds from from God's eyes. He's the only one that can help us to cease doing evil and to learn to do good. We can't do it on our own. We can only do it through Jesus Christ. And when we take that step of faith and when we ask Christ to come into our lives and we start to follow him with everything that we have, all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and when he is our saviour, our Lord, and our greatest treasure in life, then we will be new creations. And then we start to focus on verse 17. Because we are new creations, but we're not just called just to make a profession of faith. We're called to live for him and to live differently. And we have to learn to do good. We have to seek justice. We can't be happy with injustice. We need to correct oppression when we see it. And then we have these two lines down here. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Bring justice to the fatherless. One of the most forgotten about concepts throughout the whole of the scripture. 40 times it says in the Bible that we need to bring justice to the fatherless, that we need to have a heart for those who don't have a father. And it's not just speaking about uh, God being the true and great father. It's talking, about to, it's talking about serving in real life family situations where there are so many people who are fatherless. I asked you what the greatest problem in our society that the church has missed today. I would say it's the breakdown of the family. I would say it's the plight of the fatherless. And we could all agree with that. And yet it's normal to us. Our hearts don't break as much as they used to when we think about families that, are, that, are, that aren't together anymore, broken family units. Our heart doesn't break in the same way that it used to because, because it's become normal to us. And yet it shouldn't be. Because it is not God's plan for families to be apart. It's God's plan for families to be together. It's not God's plan for children to be fatherless or motherless. It's God's plan for them to have a father and a mother. And yet in our country today, this is the huge problem that we see around about. 
3.8 million children in the UK do not live with one or the other parent. 3.8 million children don't live with their mother or their father. 91% of children in single parent households live with their mother. That roughly means that there's 3,458,000 children living without their father in their home in the UK. 342,000 children living without their mother in the home. You know, that seems like a, a, a much smaller number, but it's no less significant. We talk about the plight of the fatherless, but actually the plight of the motherless is quite an issue as well. When we started working Grangemouth six years ago, first thing that we did was, was try to reach out to the, to the teenagers in the community. So we did detached youth work and started wandering around the streets and speaking to the, the young people that we met. And there was one play park that we went to, and my goodness, you were brave when you went in. Uh, but we went in uh, and started to speak to these children. They were running around to just doing mental things, you know. They set their trainers on fire and they were running all over the place. You're like, what are you doing? But we started speaking to these children, these young people. And three came up to us and every week would speak to us all the time. You know, we're just thrilled to see us. And one of these little girls was called Courtney. She was 13 at the time. Sounds about right, 12 or 13. Um, and Courtney's mother had left her before she, was, before she could remember, one years old. And the hostility that she had towards her mother and towards females in general was just horrific. And she would never speak to any of the, 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 the ladies that were helping running the youth outreach. She would only ever come to me or some of the other guys there because she just had no idea how to deal with women because she'd never grown up with a mother and she had such hostility. And, you know, Courtney started to come along to the, to the youth groups weekly um, and she did until she was 16 years old. And at 16, she stopped coming to church, but she kept up contact with my wife, uh, Cheryl. And Cheryl would take her out to make for McDonald's once every couple of weeks and they'd sit and have, have lunch together. Um, and for Courtney, she was so far away from anything positive, anything positive in, her life, positive in her life at all. And at 16, she stopped, like we say, she stopped coming to church and contact broke down a little bit. And then after two years, when she was 18 years old, a message came through Facebook. Dave, I'm going to church. Dave, I'm going, to, I'm going to church. She'd um, started going out with a boy, started living uh, with a boy. And this boy had been, had been brought up in the church and rebelled and went away. Um, and then she started going out with him and she met her parents, his parents. And her parents started to say the same things that we'd been saying to her for years. And she thought, I had, I had no idea there was other people that thought like Dave thinks. I thought Dave was on his own. I had no idea. I thought he was just some random nutter. And then she started to hear other people saying the same things. And this brought her closer to God. So now, six years after meeting Courtney, she's now baptised. She's now going to church every single week. She was living with, this, with, this, um, with, her, with her boyfriend. And as our eyes were opened up to who God was and what God wanted from her, she, 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 they, they moved back to their family, to both to their families. Uh, and they're doing great for each other. But Courtney's, Courtney needed a mother in her life. She needed someone to show her what love was from a mother's eye. I know my wife Cheryl, she did a little part of that, but there were so many people that God just brought her into, brought into her life. And that needs to be our prayer for those who don't have fathers and mothers, that God would bring the right people into their lives. So, you know, we, we can think about what the problem with family is. And, you know, it's not just really a problem with family, but just this society in general. We've, we've grown into a throwaway culture. Where, we don't, where, where if things don't feel right, if they don't work, then we just throw them away. How many things in our life do we throw away every day? You know, I've 
confessed before up here. Um, I'm a coffee shop junkie. Um, I, you know, I'll be in a coffee shop two, two, three times a day sometimes, um, picking up coffee and, and, and then taking it away. And if I think about the amount of coffee cups I just throw away every day, which would have been unheard of 10, 20 years ago, you know, you just wouldn't, wouldn't do that. But it's actually a huge problem. But it's not just when it comes to littering, but it's anything. Our cars. If we start to feel a little niggle in our car, a little sound that just doesn't sound right anymore, what do we do? We sell it and we let someone else deal with the problem. Because it's easier to sell a car than get it fixed nowadays because of the throwaway culture that we, that we live in. If there's things broken in our house, we'll just get rid of it and we'll just get something, something new. And unfortunately, that has crept into family life. Where, my goodness, this is just so hard. I just can't do it anymore. And we don't want to work at it, so we throw it away. Britain is facing a crisis of the fatherlessness. Almost half of all children born today will not be living with both parents by the time they are 15. You know, I heard that statistic put another way uh, last week, which was by the end of childhood, more children will have a television in their bedroom than a father in the home. That's the culture that we're living in today. Over the last 40 years, the meteoric rise in family breakdown has blighted the lives of the poorest children uh, the most. The relationship children have with their father affects their self-esteem, how well they do at schools, even whether they are able to form happy, long-lasting adults, uh, relationships as adults. And that was said by Andy Cook uh, from the Centre for Social Justice. Ian Duncan Smith, who used to was the old secretary of uh, DWP, said children from broken families are suffering poor outcomes and it's costing the nation up to a staggering 100 billion a year. Those raised in single parent households are nine times more likely to begin a life of crime than those who are raised by both parents. 100 billion pounds. I, I don't know about you, I can't even, I don't even know what that means. 100 billion pounds, I can't place that. But if we think about £100 billion for the family, we can compare that to £35.1 billion that we spend on the military every year. The cost of the fatherless is more than twice the cost of the military every year. You know, 2014 our ministry was quite new and, 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 and fresh and one of the things that, that, that came out in the news was a, 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 and a report that came out was called Fractured Families and there was one statistic in there that just shocked me which was today is estimated that there are about 1 million children in the UK growing up without any meaningful contact with their fathers. 1 million children in the UK. To put that into picture, there's 1 million children in Scotland today. So in the UK, you could, you could think about how many children there are in Scotland. That's 1 million children. And then the definition of, con of contact with their fathers, our definition of father is shocking. Today, a father doesn't have to be a biological father, it's just a positive male role model in their life. And this positive male role model, to get into this statistic, has to be uh, a male that the young person meets with more than twice a year. That's it. So you think about how many how many young people have positive youth workers in their life, positive uh, primary school teachers, positive even social workers in their life. They're not, they're not included in this. It's a huge epidemic uh, that we have in, in, our, in our country and this fuels us for what we want to do. So in all that we're doing, we're thinking about how we work with families. So Go Youth Trust was established in, in 2000, the end of 2011, start of 2012. Um, I left my work with YMCA where I'd been working in youth justice for the six years previous uh, and just felt a call by God to serve in central Scotland, focusing in Grangemouth at the beginning. And at the beginning all we knew was that we wanted to work with young people. 
that was it. It's all we knew. We wanted to work with young people. So we started meeting with young people and started having discussions around what we could do. And we quickly realised that working with young people on their own wasn't enough. Because the problems that we had weren't really to do with the young people, but were to do with this breakdown in society and were to do with these broken families. So we realised that if we were going to be effective in working with young people, we had to work with families as well. We couldn't do it just with the young people. We had to engage families as well. But there was a problem in Scotland today. No one trusts you. No one tr- Families don't trust you when you knock at the door and you say you want to help. They're like, who are you? Why should I listen to you? And so we realised that if we wanted to work with young people and families, then we had to be respected, that they had to understand, we had to have a track record, and we could only get that by working with communities, so that the communities would speak positively about who we were. And so we started going into schools and speaking to head teachers and social workers and family support workers and saying, we want to help, what can we do? And we started working with them to set up programmes, and eventually after, not even that long, after six months, People would say, go youth trust, and they would know who you were, and they would trust you, and they would say, oh yeah, he worked with Jimmy, yeah, that, he, that was really good, that was really good, and then people started to trust you and recognise uh, that actually you had a heart for them. But then we realised after a few years, it took us to learn this lesson, that to work with communities and families and young people well, we couldn't do it on our own, because I was just one person. And after things started to work, I had to go and work elsewhere. So we needed something stable, something that would remain behind, something that would always be there. And this led us to think, we can't do this without the church. The church has to be involved in everything everything that we do. The church is the thing that's going to last forever. The local church is the hope of the world. Charities aren't. If you're running a Christian charity well, then the thing that you should be wanting to do is close it as quickly as you can. You want to try and meet the need and close the door and let the church carry on. Charities aren't helpful. They're not helpful at all. We should be trying to close as many charities uh, as we can because we should be meeting the need. And the church is there for the long haul. Charities will close, but the local church will, will endure forever. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so the church will always be there. So we started to work with churches, um, and that's you can see that in New Beginnings Church about how we do that. That we come in, um, if, if I turned up to the ark one afternoon and it was just me standing here, there was no one from the local church, the door wouldn't open. Because it's the church that has to be involved in taking the lead uh, in this, not ourselves. So we started to involve, make sure the church was involved in everything that we do. If I was going into a school, I wouldn't go into a school without taking uh, local church volunteers with me as well. And then the last thing we, that we realised was that it had to be about Christ. It sounds so stupid, doesn't it? Yeah, this Christian standing here with a Christian ministry needing to be reminded that everything that he does had to have Christ at the centre. But you know, it's the, with Christian ministries, it's quite, Christ is quite often the first thing that goes to the background. Because we get so, so, um, so enthused about doing good that we forget about Christ and we forget about the gospel. And I've worked with so many Christian ministries. You know, YMCA was the, is the biggest non-uniformed youth or, youth or, Christian youth organisation in the world. Um, started with a great heart for the church and for the gospel. And if you walk into a YMCA nowadays, you, you won't hear anything about the gospel. You won't hear anything about Jesus or Christ because they fell away from that. And so it's really important that we keep Christ at the centre of everything 
that we do because he's quite easily to get to get missed and as you're trying to do more and more work people come and they offer you money and they say if you come and deliver this for us that would be great we love what you're doing we'll give you money to do that you can employ other people to come in and work with you but you can't stipulate that they're Christians you know it's got to be open for everyone and that sounds stupid but it's really tempting when you're working on your own and people say we'll give you a team but they can't be Christians well they can't necessarily be Christians so keeping Christ at the centre is a hard thing to do and I'd ask you to pray for, for myself and I'd ask you to pray for the other ministries that you know that are operating that they'd keep Christ at the centre and also for the church because if we're honest about ourselves we could walk into so many churches in Scotland today and we never hear Christ be mentioned and Christ isn't at the centre of church today in Scotland and so keeping Christ at the centre is something that is so important to do so that's our, our background. Uh, we are a Christian organisation that serves young people, families and communities by encouraging and equipping the local church. So, so we serve young people through the local church and we do this by, through the ARC. And you know, um, the ARC has just been such a blessing uh, this last year in particular, in particular. So between the school year of 2003 what year are we in now? 2015-16 last year, we had about 30 young people coming to the ARC throughout the year, so regularly attending 30 young people coming along this year we've had 250 regularly coming along so in the last year with our new church partnerships that we set, we're seeing so much blessing coming as a result of that, and one thing that we run at the ARC, which is just a children's club there's nothing special about it there's nothing clever or complicated about it. Um, it's just consistency uh, and compassion. That's what we try to offer to the young people that come along. So we run it for four years, uh, for seven to eleven year olds, and we take the young people through the Bible in those four years. And we have a great time every week with them. And then during the summer we have a great holiday club with them as well. And the one thing that makes it slightly different is that we ask our volunteers to visit the homes of every young person that comes along every week. And you know, when you say that to churches for the first time, they don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. They think it's a waste of time. They think, let's just open the doors and bring them in. We'll share the gospel and that'll be the end of it. And actually, we have to work very hard with some churches to get them to go out and to visit the homes every week. But you know, there's such blessing that comes from it. We started working with one church in Beansford in Falkirk just um, in September there. And we, they started to do their, their after school club um, and to do the home visits. And the first door that they knocked on, they met a mother. And when they said, oh, we're from the local church, you've been running the ark, your children have been coming along. We just wanted to hand this in and say hello. And she burst into tears. Just as someone came to the door that had a genuine heart and concern for our children, for herself. She'd never felt it before. And this was after a summer where she'd lost her husband. Her, her husband had committed suicide at the beginning of the summer. And this had strangely enough brought her closer to God. Just this trauma. She was just asking all sorts of questions about spirituality. And she was trying to speak to her children about them, about this. And her children, uh, this trauma had pushed them further away from God. And it had pushed the mother closer. And so she was praying, just send someone to speak to me about this. And these two women came, and the first door they knocked on, they were able to pray for this woman, and they were able to, um, yeah, just weekly to support her through this. Her children are coming to our summer camp this year. She is hopefully coming to our families weekend at the end of the month as well. So you can just see the impact it has when you make the difference to go out rather than wait, let people come in. Um, and I said to this church, you'll never get that. 
that'll take about 18 months before you have good conversations with people on the doorstep. That'll take 18 months of chipping away. But God proved me wrong in that situation. Um, and it was just, just a family crying out for that. So that's the ARC. We also run schools programs as well. One is called Go Ahead, which is a six-week program we run for primary six boys who have really challenging behaviour. And then the other is called TLG, uh, which stands for Transforming Lives for Good. And TLG puts volunteer church members into the local schools and they meet with one young person for an hour a week, once a week, for one school year. And they get to know the young person, they build relationships with them. And the impact that that has is absolutely quite astounding. There's one young person that we work with called, called Ethan. And I thought rather than tell you about Ethan's story, I could show you it. So let's watch this together. My name is Ethan. I kept this in the because I kept throwing people. So at the start, I think he was, you know, he's got a lot of difficulties. Shy, maybe got frustrated quite a lot. He was in the next school a lot, so he wouldn't have a... And it's like kind of five days in a week. Well, I kept like being a bully and I kept getting mad easily. When my parents came to stop, so we kept like talking about my behaviour and we were being playing like camp down. So we kept like having fun and I've been talking about like my problems with him, where it's helped me. Throughout the time, slowly, slowly, you know, things started to build up. So he'd be in school for five days. You'd be less time in the teacher's office. I stopped like, being mad easily because I kept walking away. Except from her and back there. His personal kind of struggles we've improved as well. Like we learned kind of coping mechanisms to kind of take his kind of anger issues and put them in, out in a kind of positive way. For instance, you know, if it was a case of doing 10 push-ups or counting your fingers really slowly, you know, one to ten, and just taking a few breaths. Um, and credit to Ethan, he's really kind of put those things in place, you know. Well, he's fun, he has a good personality, and he helps a lot of people. I kind of look at my life and I think, how great it'd be if I had someone, you know, like that in my role, um, to me. Um, so I can see, I see massive kind of benefits from having someone Someone there really helping Ethan. I've seen the massive change them from the start, absolutely. Like. There you go. So you can see just the the impact that this project has just working with just that one story. Uh, we have 20 coaches trained uh, and working in primary schools and secondary schools across central Scotland, well, across Falkirk the Falk, wider Falkirk area um, and so we'd ask you to, to pray for that, for that work. Uh, we learned very quickly that to work in schools we were going to have to work a little bit differently than how other schools workers do because the opportunities were just different. So the, the opportunities for us to run scripture union clubs and to come in and do assemblies and that kind of, those kind of opportunities, they weren't there to start off with and so we had to find the right opening and the right way into local schools and so we started to run prog programs like this and the school quickly appreciated them and after we started to do that well the doors opened up so we were then able to then trusted us to take assemblies and they trusted us to come into to classrooms and to speak to young people about faith um, and we do so much so much work with our local schools now uh, because of the way that we started um, so we'd ask you to pray for that um, 
our final programme that we run is called MD2 and to be honest with you we don't really run it, uh, this is our vision and our heart, um, it's called MD2 which stands for Making Disciple Making Disciples and you know we spent the last six years working with young people very very well um, but young people get older which is a real pain in the neck um, so, so as they get older they get harder to engage, uh, they spread out an, an awful lot more as well um, and a and um, some of them just don't want to speak to, just don't want to come to church. You know, they don't want to be in a church building. And so we've been praying for a long time about, okay, how do we engage these teenagers? And we were praying for, for a building. Um, since day one, really, we prayed for a building and a space that we could have an office. Uh, and in November 2015, uh, we saw this building, which was up for sale. Uh, a local, it was a, run by a local Christian trust, and it had an offer in it um, to be developed into flats. Someone was willing to pay uh, just short of 100 grand uh, for this. Uh, and we swooped in at the last minute, um, and we bet that offer. Uh, so we came in and we said, we'll give you a pound. But we'll, keep, but we'll keep Christian Mission going from it. And they were tempted by that. And then they came back and said, Dave, I'm, you know, we really want you to have this, but I can't, just can't do that. Just can't do that. You need to make a sensible offer. So we went back and looked at our bank statement. We had £500 in the Go Youth Trust account. So we went and said, right, we'll go all in. We'll give you everything. You can have £500. I tell you, this guy's not giving you everything. And they thought about it for 24 hours and phoned and said, we'd love you to have this. So we bought that building for, for £500. A few, few days later, the local authority phoned uh, and said, Mr. Bremner. And you know, normally if people say Mr. Bremner to me, I hang up. You know, I don't want to hear what, 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 what comes next. You know, no one else calls me Mr. Bremner. It's never good news. Um, so they said, Mr. Bremner, but I hang on. And they said, we're from the Falkirk Council, the Heritage Department. Uh, and we realised that you've just taken on this uh, Christian Institute building. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Thinking they were about to say, you can't buy it for £500, that's ridiculous, all the rest of it. And they said, that's great news. We've got a real heart for this. Well, they didn't say that because that's Christian words. We've got a real interest in this building. Um, and did you know that it was the first public library in Falkirk? And I said, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, they said, well, it is. And we've had £113,000 set aside for that building. And we'd like you to have it to, to do up the externals to make it look like it did when it was built in 1880. So that was amazing, absolutely amazing. Now that work's taken a long time to, to bring to fruition because it's such an old building and architects needed to be involved in planning and solicitors and all the rest of it. But we're now at the place this summer where scaffolding's going up and we pray by September this building will be, will be open and they're taking control of the, the outside and we've been slowly developing the inside over the last 18 months. This is where it is in Falkirk, right in the town centre. This is where all the... All the buses from central Scotland um, that are pa really pass through Falkirk, and this is where they all come to. So we, you know, I've, I've tried to count the amount of people that have wandered past there over over the, you know, over lunch times, and you know, you quickly get to over a, you know, hundreds and hundreds, and you give up. So many people that pass by. It's exactly where we want it to be, and so we started to to change the building. The first thing that we did was was my office. Uh, there was a wall there where that toilet was. You didn't just have to sit on the toilet uh, in, in, in the big room. Uh, we took that wall down quickly uh, and started to to change it. Um, and this is this was, was just a few. This was just a week really that we spent in this room, uh, and quickly it turned into a space that was that was usable. And we had our first room done. 
Then we had the bigger room, which was the drop-in, uh, which was much, much bigger. This is it here. So this will split into three areas. There'll be a seating area down by those windows there. We'll have six couches round about. Then there's going to be pool tables set up in the middle. And then at the other side of the hall, which you can't see, there's going to be a small cafe area. And quickly we started to uh, get to work. Um, and by September, six months, seven months later, you can see that nothing had happened. It was just a dumping ground uh, where we dumped everything that we didn't have a space for. Uh, and then in September, we started to, to get to work. We got a little bit of funding and we brought in a team called Brass Tax, um, who uh, work in Africa and Asia, building hospitals and schools. Well, I'm a chancer, as you probably recognise. And so I said, well, why don't you leave Africa alone for a couple of weeks and come to Falkirk? And so they did. Uh, and they started to help us out here. So we started to clear the space uh, and to get the building looking a little bit different. Um, you can see the lilac colour on the wood and then behind it there's the dark grey so the lilac was what was there before now no offence if you've got lilac in your house but, uh, but it didn't work here uh, so we thought it was bogging uh, so we got rid of it but then a lady came in who's one of our helpers and she came in and said, I just love what you've done with that wood. It is just so nice. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And then she went and she started touching the lilac. I said, it's lovely. So I didn't have the heart to tell her that, that was coming away. So the next time she comes in, she's going to be terrified as she sees that, you know, we've got rid of all of her, her lovely purple colour. Um, so we slowly started to, to make inroads here. We came across huge problems, you know, to do with Roth and Joyce and all the rest of it that, that ended up slowing us down. Um, but quickly, we got some more money together and got it got it sorted. Um, this is our flooring. Flooring's expensive, I had no idea. Um, so we had it quoted to floor the whole building and it was like three, four thousand pounds. Um, and so again, Chancer, we wrote to a commercial flooring company and said, could you come and have a look? Um, and we told them a little bit about our story and they said, we'll floor it no problem. We'll, we'll, give, you, we'll give you everything that you need. We won't charge you a penny. Uh, so, they, so they came with a transit van filled and dropped it all off. Uh, thousands and thousands of pounds worth of, of flooring. You know, God provides. Um, and so quickly we started to, to get things going and that's the flooring going down going down there. We've got a front room as well. This will be a session room. There's going to be a conference table which we've just which is getting delivered at the end of the month. It'll seat 20 people. It's a huge conference table which we hope to do lunches and dinners and do session work with the young people and that's going in there. You can see there was wood chip on the wall. Against, again, no offence to you if you love wood chip but personally it's of the devil. Um, you know, I'm not a fan at all. And this was pasted straight onto plasterboard um, and we really, really struggled uh, to remove that. And so so we started just to decide we'll just plaster all over it and the room started to change again. Um, this was in February fitting the heating and then we put a, a green wall in there as well. Now I got my brother-in-law to paint it green because he's a die-hard Rangers fan. So, so it was very funny uh, to watch him squirm as he painted the wall uh, green. Um, and then finally just this room to show you the kitchen. This was another just room where you know, we wanted this to be really well done because we found that when we speak to young people you know, in churches, it tends to be the kitchen that the most important conversations happen. You know, they come in and we're making tea or coffee or toast or whatever it is, and that's where the conversations happen. So um, we wanted to invest in this a little bit. So we went to Howden's um, and asked them, could you give us an ex-display unit for cheap? And they said no. So we thought, oh well, that's that. And then two months later we thought, you know what, let's try this again. So this time we wrote an email. Uh, this time it was by Cheryl. It's amazing what happens when a woman signs an email rather than a man. And she said, 
Um, we wrote before asking for a, a cheap display unit. This time we just quite like one for free. Um, <laughs> so they came back saying, okay, no problem. And again, they came, well, no, we had to bring the van for that one, so we took the van along uh, and picked it up. And that was a £3,000 kitchen fitted, um, fitted for nothing. So it's great to know that God is in, is in control of these things. And that is what we are doing day to day. And we'd ask you just to pray for that work as it develops and grows and as we serve young people. We're also all about encouraging. So we run events to do that, like Connect, which is our discipleship weekend and our family weekend. And we also run a summer camp for, for young people as well, which we offer for free of charge to young people who, who want to come along. And then we also equip the church by running training, uh, by partnerships like we have with New Beginnings Church um, and supporting them through running seminars as well. We've got a seminar happening in September run by Matt Summerfield who's the president of Urban Saints which used to be Scottish Crusaders um, and he's coming to lead a, a seminar for us as well so keep an eye, we drop, we drop marketing off uh, in places here uh, for you to see all of these things um, so how can I help? Really you can support us and, and just pray for us that's really why, why we take the time um, to share the, these reports with our partner churches just so you know what's happening. As you see me drop in and out for two hours uh, at the Ark, uh, just so you know that you're part of something much much bigger and how great this is uh, here but there's other great stuff going on and God is doing a great work and really um, taking the lead here. Um, so we'd ask you just to continue to pray for all of those things and to pray for, for the families uh, around about as we remember what we are talking about at the beginning um, this, there's such a need for working with families uh, in an effective way there's such a need for young people that need positive uh, male particularly male role models in their life and would ask you to just uh, consider that so thank you very much